Hello and welcome to the Healthy People's Club podcast, brought to you by myself, Celeste, and my best friend, Sarah. We aim to bring you a multitude of authentic, honest, and educational conversations, which will equip you with the tools to navigate your own well-being. Hello and welcome to the Health People's Club podcast. We are on season two, episode number eight. Um, and I feel super privileged and lucky today to be joined both by Sarah um, and also uh, Chris Knott. Uh, hi, both. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Um, Chris, I did like write a few things about you. So is it OK if I share and then you can correct me or add to the little bio that I've written? Yeah, yeah. yeah go for it. Um, so, um, for those of you who don't know, you might, you may have heard me talk about Chris, um, if you know me personally, but Chris has been working in the fitness industry as a personal trainer for the past 14 years. He's a soft tissue therapist, um, a student osteopath in his final year of study, specializes in gait analysis and movement biomechanics. He is the founder of APX Treatments and Courses, and is also a podcast host. Um, the podcast that he hosts is APX Physiology Podcast. Chris, please tell me, have I, have I summarised well? Have I missed anything? No, no, that's that's pretty much it, I'd say. Um, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for coming on. I know that like we've known each other for many, many years and um, I just hugely value you in regards of like your knowledge and how much support you've given me personally. So I really can't wait to delve in to this conversation and to share as much sort of knowledge and wisdom as possible with those people who are listening. And I'm sure Sarah, for you as well to get, um, you've probably got some questions from your clients um, that you're probably gonna ask Chris. Absolutely. And um, Chris, welcome from my side as well. Celeste has um, told me so much about you. So I, and I'm sure many of the listeners could be really interested to hear what you have to say. Um, and I'm gonna kick straight off and uh, for myself and for everyone listening, gonna find out a little bit about you. So Chris, you have 14 years in the fitness industry. Where did it start for you? Um, basically, I started doing a, um, straight from college, did a, well, I went to do a sports science degree and it was actually in Birmingham and very, very quickly realised I, I didn't really want to be studying anymore. Um, so just fell into, didn't know what to do after coming away from that first year. So I, I thought a personal trainer, you had to do, um like three years at uni and a master's to be a personal trainer that's actually why I went to uni to do it I didn't realize you could just do it in a, in a like a one-off course um so yeah got got qualified um the summer after going to uni and then just started started from there and started at uh, David Lloyd which is which is where I met Ben and um and just, I'd, I'd say a lot of the things that, that helped me was getting everything that you could possibly get wrong, getting it out of the way early when it's not too much on it. So you, you're learning from your mistakes and being around people. But it wasn't until I started to get further in my career that I realised that just observation was the was the like the biggest thing which was useful. So like you're just seeing so many people move and seeing the same thing over and over again um so yeah just it started in commercial gyms and then branched out to uh more independent ones which Amazing. is which is way back when also yeah, yeah. <laughs> chris and i met as well um but no i i also think it's really just interesting to point out as well is like even though you didn't 
you know, finish um, or continue with the studying of the sports science and thinking that as a personal trainer, like you have to do those three years of study. It is quite bizarre how people can become a personal trainer in a way it like so easily and I think that what's really amazing about what you've done um and about what what I see so many other personal trainers do as well is actually invest in themselves in like continuously learning and progressing and finding their own sort of um areas of in investigation along the way mm. and, and that that was it that was it really is that like I think that after about two or three years of being a PT, you very quickly realise that, especially especially when you're self-employed, is that when you're working for yourself, there's no, nobody's going to do it for you. As in, like nobody's going to say, "Oh, by the way, you get a pay rise this year," or "By the way, you just there's no like set progression. You have to go out and do it." So, yeah, just it became a lot of investment into education stuff but it, it was more just because it was interesting like when you really get stuck into something you just want to learn more about it so it, it was more about that as well definitely and um chris from me as well being a pt i see it as the hours you put in it's a bit like flying hours for a pilot mm. it's um it, you know that's where you learn absolutely everything so you can do all the, you know, you start with the book knowledge and stuff. And then, yeah, as you said, it's just watching people move and also them going on your own journey, what you want to specialise in and, and how does that fit around your client base and who you're targeting? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and, and and that's why that's why I just think it's it's such an exciting industry to, or fun industry to be in because there's so many different avenues you can go down. But also it's like there's, there's so many different ways you can get to the same outcome, which is is that like you, you might try one thing for one person and then you got to take a, a totally different approach with another person and it becomes almost I, I just see it well with, with the treatment as well it's like a puzzle and um, like when you're training someone it's a bit like a puzzle and when you're treating someone it's like puzzle like how do I figure this out and that that's um, what's one of the most enjoyable things about it for me that's fantastic to hear and I've seen that firsthand where we're trying to figure out some of my puzzles over the past couple of years yeah. um, Chris I know that um Initially, you were working as a personal trainer and then you sort of diverted and you are almost, you know, you're just finished up your studying for becoming an osteopath. Mm -hmm. um, what was the reason for the sort of maybe transition or sidestep, if you if you want to call it that? Um, it was it was more natural. It was it was more natural um, transition in the sense of, um, I think, when when you and I first met, I think about probably about 10 years ago, it was. It, I was very much into like heavy lifting and, and power lifting and, and strongman stuff. And that just basically, I got so injured from that. <laughs> Everything just broke. And then, so I, in, rehab became more interesting to me and the rehab side of things from a PT point of view. And then you realize, well, if I'm going to rehab someone, I, I need to, you know, it'd be really handy if I could do soft tissue on them because it'd be like, the, the, and Sarah, you'll, you'll understand this as well as like as a PT, you're like, oh, that the, the, the you should go and use this physio or go and use this chiropractor or go and use this person so you refer them out which I was doing and then I just kind of thought to myself well why don't I just refer them out to myself and so I started doing the soft tissue probably about I don't know maybe 2016-17 just dabbling in it and then realizing that um, it was a good almost like side business because the gym I was working in Manchester city centre um, I was able to do my own clients and then I'd get a, probably about 10, a, 10 extra sessions a week just through the other PT's clients booking in for soft tissue treatment. 
Um, and then, then it came to a point of like, well, what am I now? I'm, I'm soft tissue therapist, personal trainer. And it's like, well, I need to get a title, which is one of the big three, which is Cairo, Osteo, Physio. Um, and then it, an osteopath just fit the bill more because it was more looking at the whole body as one system rather than just muscles of the spine. I've got yeah, that leads perfectly actually onto the next question because I was just about to say like, we often hear like, oh, do we go to the physio, the chiropractor, an osteopath? And I think it can be a little bit confusing. Um, but yeah, so an osteopath is where you look at more beyond just the the um, physiological structure. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit like, you know, bodybuilders will always take the mick out of crossfitters. Crossfitters will take the mick out of powerlifters. And, and you know, it's always like this. It, but at the end of the day, everybody's lifting weights. It's It's the same thing. It's like you know, every, with the same principle is you're just trying to get someone better. But Cairo is very spinal, physio is very muscular, but osteos is are very, very broad. Like you can be anything you want. You could be like an osteo who does a lot of cracking, like um, cracking people's backs and necks, and you could be very muscular based. But osteopath, which is really fun to me, is that you could, someone could come in with knee pain and you, and you could say, oh, it's your liver. And, you know, it's an, or you could say, oh, it's your... Um, you know, it, it's anger issues because you can look at mind, body, spirit, which it, from a Western, like Western world research point of view, it's not the most um, black and white technical thing, but it's just something I, I personally believed is that there's, there's more to this the whole picture that meets the eye. Um, so it just, uh, the osteo title just gives me better scope to practice more on how I'd want to practice. Uh, whereas it's very spinal for chiropractic and um, and muscular for physio, but everyone still calls me physio anyway, which <laughs> which is fine. But it is what it is. I am um, Chris. I, I have a friend who I used to work with, Celeste knows him as well, um, quite well, and he had a very similar journey to you. So he's um, was a coach and a PT, and then has gone down the osteopath route. Oh, wow. Working absolutely perfectly with him in unison now because he's now got. Um, his clinic and then he's doing his PT as well and yeah he's and I was so proud of him and I just think it's such a, a wonderful thing especially when you were saying about the mind body and soul all connecting and mm. you have to be a certain type of person to kind of understand that and I think that's probably what would make a really amazing osteo so I'm gonna I'm gonna be referring people to you even from London okay <laughs> send them up, I'll send them up north I literally was doing that all weekend on, on the walk actually Anyway, that was fun. that's for another time. <laughs> um, Chris, what would you say, like when you when people come to you in the therapy room to get some treatment, um, what are the common themes that you see? Oh, uh, the common themes I'd say is, I mean, it depends who you're looking at. Like, are you, are you talking? What's the demographic there? Because there's common trends that I'll see in recreational bodybuilders, like people who are like 20s, 30s, who want to get into bodybuilding. There's common themes that people who, you know, sit at a desk all day who um, don't move. Uh, so in essence, if, if, if okay, if it was an hour um, across the board of like making it a bit more universal is that breathing can, is probably the one which, which crosses all those, like all those areas. So, um you know people who are very stressed and and i, I don't like using the word breathing properly because you didn't breathe properly you'd be dead so it's it's like it's very um 
there's there's no proper way of breathing. There's just different ways of getting about it. Um, but and even using the word dysfunctional breathing, it's not that. It's just breathing through different strategies. But once that becomes very like either neck based or mouth based or or more chest based, that's when you're probably going to have issues that arise. Just purely because it causes a problem with the rib cage and then it causes a problem with the pelvis. It'll just kind of radiate outwards. So someone could come with like neck pain, knee pain, foot pain. You know, if, if the very, very base foundation of the way they breathe is not at fault, but it's something that can be traced back and say, Hmm, this is what's going on. Then you go after that. So that's, that's a common theme. Um, yeah. Do you mean more injuries or do you mean things that you'll, you'll see type of thing? Yeah, well, well, I think um, we'll touch on injuries in a second, but no, that's absolutely perfect in regards to thinking about the breathing. And especially given as it's something that we're unconsciously just doing all the time, it makes a lot of sense to actually get this right, like out of anything. Like it's something that we literally need to be doing every day to survive. So um, yeah, breathing effectively and and properly, I think is important. not to go down like the yoga route, but actually thinking about a lot of the pranayama work that we were doing whilst we were away as well. Even just thinking about how we breathe and what our stomach's doing, what what when we breathe was quite interesting. And some people were even doing that wrong. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, sorry, Chris. Go on. No, no, go for it, go for it. Um, I was just going to then come on to the injury part that you mentioned so in support in in reference to kind of like common injuries that you might see I know people who listen to our podcast there's probably two crowds so you've got one crowd which are just general sort of everyday people who are training four times a week just looking after their overall health and then there's a small um crowd who are a more crossfit specific crowd who are maybe training more intensely and more frequently so you could either give us um, one or the other or both in terms of um, common injuries that you might see. Okay, so it's, it's I wouldn't say it's a, it's a common injury, but it's, it's just maybe let's just think about things a little bit differently in the sense of, um, so this is like the, the kind of APX thing is that, you know, we, we focus on as personal trainers, like looking at movement as let's get people to squat and deadlift. Or if we're talking about CrossFit, then it's clean and jerk and, and, and uh, snatch. But they're very like bilateral movements in the left and the right are doing the same thing at the same time. Um, so my my thing with with like the the education thing is um, we we think that someone comes in they have to squat deadlift move like that. This is well the body adapts to what it does the most often. It's a very, really simple principles. If you do something over and over again, you'll get good at it or find a way of becoming efficient at it. So it's, well, what things do we do more in life than walking and breathing? We definitely don't squat and deadlift as much as we walk and breathe. So if somebody has, again, not an issue, but if something is going on with their breathing and walking patterns, that's the thing that is probably more potent to address rather than trying to get into squat or deadlift because one precedes the other, not the other way around. So basically, if you have a restriction or like a block in your ankle, you're not going to be able to squat or deadlift. If you fix that block, which will therefore comes from the way you walk, that will then go on to the squat and deadlift. But it's highly unlikely by doing a very heavy bilateral movement under fatigue, then that's that's going to fix the the problem with the with the gait mechanics. So it, it's 
it's thinking about that, you know, a really common one is um, guys who, are, who play football or play rugby to a high level in their teens into 20s. That's complete uni, unilateral dominance. So they're, they're going to practice this right or left side throw or pattern 10, if not 100,000 times. And their body all adapt and get really strong at that and, and think of it like a helix or it's, it's rotating on an axis and then it's constantly used to rotating in that direction. But then they get under a bar and they come to me and say, I don't know why like my chest is bigger on this side, or I don't know why my hips kick to the side, or I don't know why I get a knee pain or why I get SI joint pain. And it's, it's because we practice something on one side in a certain way, and then we haven't done anything to address that and got into heavy bilateral movements. Um, and and all, all the stuff that I do, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's trying to be overcomplicated. It's just like, well, we need to train the patterns which are most basic to us before we can then go and lift heavy stuff. And that's not it, the, the main reason for that. My main kind of like, what's your mission statement is that that's what I really wish I'd known prior to just walking into a gym and thinking I could lift weights. Because I, I walked into a gym thinking I'm a personal trainer and I, I therefore know how I should squat, then lift bench. But I managed to injure myself doing all three of those movements, trying to go as heavy as I could. And that was just because my body wasn't in a state which was um, effective enough or stable enough or mobile enough to do those properly heavy without getting hurt. So that's the kind of, of, of concept is to think about the way you move and what you need to move efficiently and do that stuff, not more, but do that a little bit more than you would or try and integrate that into a normal program because nine times out of 10, the most of the move, most of the programs you do in the gym or the most programs I'll see is the completely bodybuilding based. And there's no, you know, to use the word functional movement is, is but yeah, there's no functional patterns, things that would help us sprint, climb and move better. So, so that's the thing that I would say to either make people aware of or at least consider. So, so interesting, Chris. And I think as well, um, as you said, and it's the same for me too, I had to learn some things the hard way to learn, then relearn how to train not only myself, but clients as well. So it's all this learning pattern, even in our own training and our own experiences. Um, yeah, definitely. So. If, if people are like sort of thinking about their own training and their own programming, then um, would you say like it's better to sort of start, not start again, but kind of relook at the whole program? Or could they just sort of be adding to their program a couple of days a week to sort of look at different movement patterns to support their goal? Yeah, well, the, well that's the main thing. That's what you said. Like the, the goal is the main thing, you know what's your goal because if you're if i know i keep saying it but if you're a bodybuilder you're going to need to bodybuild if you're a crossfit you're going to need to do crossfit you can't if your goal is to get better at those things you need to do those things as much as you can but the the catch is is that you can only do those things as much as you can if you don't get injured but when you get better at those components you, you're going to sacrifice something because with movement like, like, so let's use yoga as example. If someone was a power lifter, would they benefit from doing yoga? Like, yeah, they would benefit from it. But if they did yoga all the time, it's going to make them more supple, which is not good for powerlifting. So it's more just like seeing the missing pieces of your puzzle. And that's like the way I teach it is that we need mobility. We need athleticism. We need body composition as in like being a healthy weight. Uh, we need muscle. We need strength. We need all of those components 
which one you need most of depends on what you do. So for you now, you'd need athleticism because of, you know, going for more the running side of things. But when we just focus on one element of those, you know, five components all the time, we're going to sacrifice the others, which eventually turns up in some form of injury because we're either too immobile or we're too um, unfit to do the to do the things that we need to do. So it, it's more about um, never ingraining yourself down one path or one system so much so that you then lose sight of what it means to actually be able to move well mm. yeah thank you that's a really nice summary that's really really good um chris one other thing that i sort of wanted to touch on tonight well i probably could ask you one million questions you know as i usually do but um is osteoarthritis Mm. Uh, and I'm wondering if this is something that maybe first of all you could just explain and also is this something that you've noticed is like increasing within like a, the younger population yeah so when you know when we talked about the topic this is like the the area that I mentioned because we recently about two three weeks ago had a specialist lecture at, um, at uni on this and um, the the lecturer was saying oh you know the prevalence is going to rise in the next 10, 20 years. It says you as osteopaths are going to treat more and more people with it and it'll go up by, I think like about 30%. And I actually said, I, I disagree. I think it'll be more because, the, you know, you'll get people coming in and um, so, so I'll, I'll get people who are in the, the 20s and 30s and you'll, I'll feel a joint. And the, the, thi the, the thing is, is that for when the, the people I see in practice are generally young, fit gym goers. The people who you'll who I'll treat in, in Stoke in the clinic, so at the osteo clinic, uh, are 70, 80 year old people who you know have done manual labour jobs for fifty years, which is a huge predisposing factor for osteoarthritis. Because osteoarthritis is basically a degenerative change in the joint where it started to kind of erode and get stiffened, and the, there's bony changes, um, and you're feeling a joint of a, of a seventy year old in in, in the clinic. And then you'll get somebody who's in their early 20s and their hip will feel the same way. And you're like, OK, this isn't good. And I, I, you can't say that to him because you don't want to we don't want to scare the person. But you think this this person is in their early 20s and their hip feels rock solid. But this is somebody who wants to get really strong. They're into bodybuilding, they're lifting, they're, they're, they're really into it. But they're completely neglecting mo uh, movement, a bit mobility and breathing. So the, the reason for, again, using this podcast as an avenue from it is it is not scaremongering. It's not to say like, oh, you know, be, you know don't train because otherwise you'll get this. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure if I had a scan on my left knee, they'd, they'd find arthritis. And I'm pretty sure of that. And that's not, um, you know, I'm not saying it concerns me. It's not going to change what I do. It's just I, I, I know what it feels like and what it's like. It's just more an awareness. It's just more to kind of get people thinking that the the – the, you just have to respect your body. You just have to appreciate that, you know, we're incredible pieces of machinery that you should push your body as hard as you can. But in order to push it, you have to also recover and respect the fact that if you push it too much and aren't doing the things in your recovery plan or aren't doing things in your plan or regime to recover properly, you're going to hit breaking point. But then you hit breaking point, you don't want to then take this cascade of like degenerative joint change, which is whilst arthritis is because um essentially it was it was the stuff i wouldn't listen to you know when i was really into 
strongman and powerlifting. I was like, oh, you know, whatever, you know, cardio is, you know, a load of rubbish and, you know, doing anything over five reps is a waste of time and I'm not going to stretch. But, you know, looking back on it, you think to yourself, well, I kind of wish I had done that because imagine how strong I'd be now if I'd been able to train consistently without all these injuries. So to, to summarise really with it, it's just to, um, I think, a lack of education or a lack of awareness in younger demographics who are who are training um, very intensely may be something in the next um, 20 or 30 years we see more of because I think that we're not quite seeing the second gener generation of gym goers. You know, people have always gone to the gym, but, you know, it's only in the past 20 years that, that the gym's a thing that you do. You, you know what I mean? If that makes sense. Like, it's so accessible to people now. Um, and I think that will come into light in the next 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, with the osteoarthritis, Chris, um, <clears throat> can I, can I just check in, in regards to like, can you recover from it? Obviously I know it's like degenerative change of, of the bone or with the joint. And therefore are you saying like, if people start to develop signs, symptoms of osteoarthritis, then it's kind of a pretty difficult to come back from. Um, it, it isn't, it isn't. Like it, it, it's, it's, um, you can manage it with nutrition. You can manage it with, you know, lifestyle supplements. You can, you can still train. You can still, you know, there's, there's, I've got online clients at the moment who've got osteoarthritis in the hips and they say, yeah, it doesn't bother me at all. You can get diagnosed with it and it's just, but you have no pain. So it's, it's really on a spectrum. Um, it's how well you manage it. Um, it's just, it's just whether you, you, you're doing things which aren't congruent with that, that the issue that you've got. Um, it's something you can't just power through, you know, it's not something you just go, oh, I'll just run it off or keep going and hope it goes away. You have to respect it, but you can definitely keep it in control where you can still do the stuff that you love to do as long as you're respecting it and, and recovering and, and finding that like Goldilocks zone with your, with your training and your, and your recovery. Thanks, Chris. And I, I think you probably touched on a lot of this already, but if you could give me a top three of preventative measures, maybe for it to, you know, two to five, um, what would they be? What for for osteoarthritis? Um, it would it would be um, look at be quite analytical of of the load you put through your body. So that that can when I say load, it can be running volume, it could be training volume, and you you, you want to find you want to find a good way of either logging it or auto regulating, pushing your body to a point where you're thinking, okay, this is this is tough, but then. But then, and then being able to back off. So it's like it's that little margin, like you're just touching, overreaching, and you come back. And it's hard, but you know, we have, we have a tendency, or I I had a tendency, and I, I joke with Celeste is that I think I'm just, the only the only reason why I'm good at coaching her is I'm just one step ahead of her. Like, as in, like I I like all the stuff that she's done. I'm like, yeah, that was me. However, however long ago, so I know what you're going to do next. Don't do that, and that's why she probably benefits from the coaching because i used to say i used to be like oh i'm, I'm not going to break i'm not going to break i'll power through you know it's four o'clock in the morning i'll go and do a gym session train eight people and then train again at night with one meal and you know it's that type of mentality so it's it find it find you find you the tolerance and then when you start to get aches and pains and when you start to get signs of fatigue back off and there's nothing wrong with backing off there's nothing wrong with taking a week off um i think nutrition is massive like keeping inflammation down is is massive um, because 
the, the you know it, it's it's to do with how well we can um reduce inflammation so if someone's got a very inflammatory diet and there's lots of inflammatory foods in there that's that's going to be one obviously things like yoga pilates stretching breathing all those things so it, it's it's nothing really to advance it's all the stuff that we go i know i should do that but i just don't do it enough and um, that would be the the biggest ones really that's perfect. Thank you very much. And I think that would be really helpful to the listeners as well. Um, sometimes it's just good to have those bullet points. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, can I just jump in on the inflammation point, Chris? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very interested in inflammation at the moment. I've been, uh, we've been talking about it a lot within my university course as well and how it impacts mm-hmm. like mental health. Um as you just mentioned it in, in relation to how it can support um, osteoarthritis, are there any like, you know, people often like, oh, you know, what are the key foods that I can have to support inflammation? Um, is there anything that you would say or is your approach kind of, you know, eat um, as many sort of natural or whole foods as possible? What's your approach there? Um, yeah, the, the, the thing is, is like movement, Nutrition and movement um, are, are very, very like genetically driven factors. Like I, I do, I do think that some people might be able to get away with things. Um, you know, the, the easiest way of, of you know, I, I really don't think. I mean, I don't know. You, you might get a nutritionist on, and they'd be like, "Oh no, no, it's not that simple." And they might say, "Oh, movement's just simple. Just move and and, and so forth." When obviously, when you understand the concept, you realize how complex it could be. And what I mean by that is that you know. I remember being on a seminar and a guy talking about nutrition. He said, I've read a hundred different nutrition books on every topic. And if you eat lots of green vegetables, you drink plenty of water and you eat clean protein, like protein from good, you know, um, organic sources or, you know, whether the animals are good animal welfare, you're going to be okay. So that's obviously, obviously a factor, but I do think that, um, I, I do think that it's not necessarily what you eat as much as it is what you what you don't eat or consume because things like anxiety and depression is just inflammation of the brain you know any type of ailment is inflammation of some of some area and um, you know when we're going into digestive issues it's inflammation of an organ or um, you know a body part so it's it's just as much as what you what you're able to uh, avoid um, and, and when I say there's a genet- genetic component, we'll all have that person. Well, we all we all know ourselves. You know, our friends are like you, they might eat a pizza and they've got brain fog and they feel like they feel like they feel terrible for for you know a few days and it really does the digestion. And, and then you can have the same pizza and you're fine, but you have ice cream and it does the same to you. And so it's just like that like that training modulation where um, you, you see what you can manage from a training point of view and back off. But with inflammation management, it's just being being really mindful of the things that you know set you off. And, and most times it's like, you know, high fatty, um, you know, carby foods. But it, it's also the, the biggest one is alcohol. You know, you put those together and it, it's like this inflammation cocktail. So um, I, w- I would say that rather than thinking, oh, right, I have to go out and buy the most expensive fish oil or, or you know, uh, you know the, all these supplements to help fight inflammation, it's like you're better off just avoiding it, avoiding what you put in and eating just a generally clean diet. Absolutely perfect answer. Thank you, Chris. And I think understanding your body as well and listening to it is just such a massive factor, isn't it? 
Yeah, well, well, that's the thing is like, um, from, from a coaching point of view, like online coaching, in-person coaching, is that a good coach doesn't really stick to a system. They just try and figure out and understand that person. As I've actually got a, um, a, a book right in front of me and I, I read a quote the other day. It's like before, it's, which really stuck with me, which was like before you can be, un, you have to understand before you can be understood. So I think that what they're saying is like, you have to understand that person before you, um, before they can understand what you're trying to get them to do because then you like anticipating the next move. And, and I think as a coach, you've got to kind of put your mind in that person's mind and, and that person's body and thinking, right, well, what, what, why have they done that? What have they done that? Why are they eating that? Why are they doing that movement? Let's try and figure that out rather than let's just chuck a load of systems at them and say, right, this is what you need to do, which, which they're not going to stick to. Exactly, because it's complex. It's never, it's never easy. And it's, it's kind of no shoe fits all as well. Yeah, and, and that and that's the um, that's the whole point of like the the, the name of the uh, company across the board for treatments and 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 the, um, and the education is APX, which which it stands for anthropometrics, but that is a horrendously wrong long title, which no one can say. Um, but anthropometrics, the way I always think is like it's anthropology. It's like looking at the human body in in the way they think, the way they move, the way they act, and and realizing that it's so unique in so many different ways that you've that you've always got to take a different approach and that, that's the fun thing that's what i absolutely love about treatment is that i'm trying to achieve the same thing but i've got to do it in a different way because you know i've got a 27 year old bodybuilder who's going on stage i've got a 13 year old you know lad with plantar fasciitis playing football and i've got you know you know people coming of all different demographics you can't use the same method on them you know you've got to think right what's what's going on with this individual yeah Completely. Um, Chris, may I ask you something that's, um, it's actually a question that Celeste put down for you and it really resonated with me because it's a conversation I had with one of my clients the other day. Um, is there such a thing as an emotional attachment to injury? Can we discuss that a little bit? <laughs> that's a really, really good question. Um, yeah, yeah, massively, 100%. 100%. Like, is it a injury or injuries or is being injured? Celeste, what do you think from, from, from my client? It's a an ongoing injury, the client I'm thinking about, um, which we think she actually no longer has as an actual injury, but in mm. her head, it's still there. Yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, th this is the thing, is that I, my, my outlook is you, you're always, you're only as ever injured as you want to be. That, that's it. You, as in like you, you're only as ever injured as your as your brain's telling you is or you want to be and and that's not necessarily like oh if you've got an injury and you just say to yourself I'm, I'm not injured I'll be fine what I mean by that is that you know you it's it's a label you've labeled yourself something like so if you say like I am injured you're reiterating that to yourself is you you want that now is you as a, that's how you identify whereas if you say my knee's hurting me a little bit it's the same it's the same thing my my knee's hurting me a little bit at the moment and that's the that's the language as a, as a practitioner you've got to be really careful of because people if someone say to me i'm broken i'm like well you know then you need a psychiatrist not me because you're just you're talking about yourself in a way which is derogatory which is because 
there's clearly something that's going to come out. So I'll be treating them and I'll talking to them. Someone says I'm broken. I'm waiting for it, waiting, waiting for it. And then bang, they'll hit me with something like, right, okay, yeah, this is this is what the thing is. Which is why just as, you know, you'll know Sarah as well as like as personal trainer, you think we're just psychiatrists. I got out of that, go into treatment and you become a psychiatrist again because you listen to people's problems. But yeah, it's that, that the way people say that, I mean, I've, I've, I've had it with a, a patient recently it's just like look there's nothing wrong with you it's like you can keep you, you, there really isn't you, you you this is what i found it, it, it's a risky it's a risky thing to do as, as, a, as a practitioner osteopath because there, if there is something wrong with them you've missed it then you know, that's that's you know poor patient care but the, you know this guy in, in question had gone for multiple scans and they were all coming back clear but what i mean by that is that like people's attitude towards something is going to reflect in their body and you know if you've got a, po- a positive outlook and this this so this is fits in nicely what i was saying about osteo you say this is a physio in, in front of physios they'll laugh at you and go what are you on about but you know if if you have positive thinking towards something i do think you'll have a positive outcome as long as you follow following the logical steps you need to do to get injured if you have a negative injury if you if you have a negative outlook on something you could go see the top five therapists in the world back to back and you will not get better you can spend as much money as you want if you have a bad mindset towards getting better because you'll always stay like that. So, yeah, I think that sums up. Where that, you, that, was, yeah. that was absolutely excellent. I'm just going to be quiet now because I'm sure Celeste has a follow-up um, because this was originally her question and I stole it from her. It's so good. No, it's honestly, it's good for me to hear back. It's a good reminder of why I appreciate working with you so much, Chris, because it's, you know, it's it's never just about like the specific injury it's more about really understanding me as a person psychologically mm. and I think you know even like for me I've worked with quite a few coaches over the years um but it's taken me a while to really find someone who I fully trust and feel like understands what's going on beyond just a physiological level so yeah, it was that was a lovely question and a really nice reminder for me. Um, Chris, we're coming towards sort of the end of the questions I had written down. So before we obviously ask you like where we can find you and all of those sort of things, is there anything that you're sort of thinking that you'd like to share or to talk about? Um, yeah, before we before we sort of wrap up. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. No, so yeah, I, I suppose. I suppose the one thing that I'd want people to, when it comes to exercise, um, is 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 who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. Um, because I think that now the prevalence of, like, I don't know, you could call it social media status, but you could call it like social media recognition, is is a big thing where you, you have to know what's driving you. Um, because if you're doing these things which aren't healthy for your mind or your body, or you feel pressured to do them for your mind or your body, if you know deep down you're doing it for either social acceptance or because you're trying to impress people, or you're trying to do something, it's it's a very very it's a very very potent way of making yourself unhappy or or, or getting so sick of it that you don't want to look at a gym again. And and really that stems from my own um, my own experience in in you know 
wanting to be the strongest in the gym or wanting to be as strong as somebody or wanting to do something and putting ridiculous amounts of pressure on myself to be a certain standard when it really means nothing. No, Nobody cares about what you lift or look like apart from yourself. We think we do, but we, we really don't. Nobody cares apart from, you know, apart from your loved ones, nobody's going to turn around and be that bothered about your own well-being and, and so forth. So it's really just in this day and age, just not, not, be it just making sure that you you, you exercise because you love the way it feels you exercise because you love the effects you exercise because the buzz you get you exercise because of that but you know nobody cares how much you can lift. nobody cares about how how fast you can run so do it because you enjoy it but don't do it because you think it's because because I, I know it's a bit of a pessimistic term but it's true there's always going to be someone bigger faster more shredded more better you know you, it's the internet the internet's always going to win so don't ever use that as a way of um, comparison. Just do the things that you enjoy and think to yourself, the second you wouldn't train as hard or the second you wouldn't train um, or eat as diligently or eat as, um, as clean, shall we say, or, or, or structured, um, as soon as like your phones take out the equation so you can't film this you can't put it online you can't do it as soon as that happens that you wouldn't train as hard as soon as you can't post about it then you're doing it for the wrong reasons so it, it, it's more about just reiterating that point to people virtual yeah. high fives all around <laughs> yeah. that's perfectly said and, and what a lovely um way to wrap up the podcast as well i know i love that like, I, I love that first question, just like, who are you doing it for? Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. That's that's a really brilliant way to sort of, um, yeah, come towards the end. Um, so, Chris, where can we find you? Yeah, so um, the, the podcast, uh, guys, the Apex Physiology podcast, that's very, um, well, physiology-based. It's gone a bit more towards the, like, treatment um, side of things, but I do try and do just, as, like, a one-to-one -one ratio of, gym-based stuff for training and then some stuff with uh, more on the therapy and anatomy route. I've got a YouTube channel, which is at the moment is more just the mobility drills, breathing drills, but I am going to start to put some more um, longer content on there. So that's just anthropometrics um, on YouTube. Uh, I've got a few social medias just for the different um, avenues. So APX treatments is for treatment, is for the treatment side of things. Apex Physique is um, a good friend, a business partner, Jay McGee, who's a professional bodybuilder. Um, that's our online coaching. Um, and then my personal Instagram is just Chris, not APX, which is just, it's more um, just like, say, just the content of what I'm about and how, we're, how I train and so forth. Thank you. Fab, thanks. Thanks so much, Chris. Um, I'm sorry that you both lost me there. Um, but we will, of course, like share all of your links um, in the show notes so people can reach out and to ask more questions or get in touch with you about your services. F from me, I, I'm constantly talking <laughs> to people about you anyway, but like if anyone's also got questions about Chris and they just want to ask me, like, oh, you know, what was your experience? Like, then also feel free to drop us a message and and I'll do my best to answer those questions as well. But Chris, thank you so much for chatting. Um, I've really loved having this conversation and I also feel like it's just been so nice to have other people sort of gain from all of your knowledge and expertise. Um, and yeah, you're, you're, you're wonderful. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on. Thank you.
Hey everybody, you might have noticed that we forgot to ask Chris the key question um, at the end of the podcast. So I did send him a voice note and this is what he had to say. In terms of what do I wish I'd been taught at school, it's just probably just more practical things about life. Um, you know, I always say about like nutrition is here, this is how to make a Victoria sponge cake and a bolognese. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time learning about stuff, but not enough, I think, about like, financial planning or econ- economy or something like that. So basically just how to manage your money, it's more practical life skills. Um, you know, I, I always say, imagine if the stuff that I teach, or it doesn't have to be me, but imagine if stuff on breathing and movement was taught a whole syllabus and kids were leaving school as experts in in uh, nutrition and biomechanics. I mean, what would that do to, uh, you know, the population's overall health? So it's, it's, type, it's kind of stuff like that. Um, Once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, This episode in particular had a real special place in my heart after Chris has done so much work with me over the past few years. So if you do have any questions, then feel free to reach out to me or directly to Chris himself. All right, thanks guys, bye.